what's going on everybody thanks for tuning into another episode of california underground this is gonna be a big i can already tell be by our pre-show and what we were talking about before we hopped on this is gonna be a jam-packed show there's a lot to unpack here we're gonna try and get to it all within an hour um we're here to take your questions live chat here on youtube as we always do every thursday night at 8 p.m we always do live streaming uh cynthia just off a hard-fought election is still here still soldiering on uh as my trusty co-host and then another great uh guest of the show that we always like to have on is ray perez uh host of the on my mind podcast i got that right right ray yep on my mind perfect yep um, he always has a lot to say. He's very involved up in Northern California. So, you know, it's a big state. And as much as Cynthia and I try to cover the entire state, there's a lot up north. We just don't know what the heck's going on. We're really focused on Southern California. But we're going to touch on everything midterms, Trump versus DeSantis. Um, we're going to touch upon all of that and obviously take your questions and comments. So uh, how's everyone doing tonight? First off. You know, I, I will say this. I am not as defeated as 2020 was because after the 2020 election, um, I think infuriated was putting it lightly, right? Like I didn't want to touch politics for almost a month and a half. And that's unheard of for me. Now I'm like, ah, eh, it's been two days. Okay, let's go. Okay. How are you doing, Cynthia? I'm doing great. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it also, but um you know, unfortunately, it's, you know, we're in California, so it's election month. So I think there are races that are called and then there's some that are not. So, you know, I wish I could say I'm done with campaigning, but I'm technically not. <laughs> it, it's, it's in you, right? Like, there's just no yeah. way, right? No, it no, it isn't, too. And then um, we'll talk about later tonight, too. But, you know, the presidential year is coming up, too. And I know, like, you know, the holidays are coming up. But then, like, you know, sometime next year in, like, March, April, like, you know, regular candidates, they should be campaigning at least a year out. So, you know, it never ends. But that's our life mm -hmm. in politics. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's just jump right into, I guess we'll start off with this question in, in general. In your opinion, WTF with these midterms? I, there was a lot of talk about this was going to be a, a red wave and that the Republicans were going to absolutely dominate. Um, I don't think that's necessarily what happened. I mean, Florida just blew everyone's expectations away. Um, if that has to do with DeSantis at the top of the ticket, we'll get to that. But what are your general thoughts? Whoever wants to go first, what are your general thoughts about what happened in these midterms? What, what, what's the takeaway generally from these midterms? Ladies first. Ray, go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, guess first. Um, so there are still a lot of races to be called. So I personally have been, you know, a little bit more quieter than I wanted to because there's just so much to analyze for me. Um, like, for example, I don't know the final count on how many House seats were flipped yet because there's still races that need to be called. The Senate, you know, for example, in Georgia, it's going to run off and that's Thursday, December 6th. So there's just so much moving pieces. And, you know, even like in San Diego, there are very close races locally. So it's just it's just so hard for me to really kind of visualize it. 
but at the top of my head, um, you know, in general, I was expecting a lot more. Um, I thought that, you know, if there was ever a moment for a Republican to run for office, it was this year. Like if they were always on the fence about it, this is the time to run because mm -hmm. no matter who is the Republican mm -hmm. nominee in 2024. Say it louder for the people in the back. Go ahead. Say it. <laughs> Say that. What was that again? If you're if you're a Republican and you were on the fence of running, this was the year to run. <laughs> uh, and because you know, I, I can. I just want to say this. I, I cannot. I, she may be laughing. I'm. She's so right. Please get up and go. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just you know, and regard and you know, some people are gonna have their pains about the present twenty four. That's fine. But no matter what no matter who the nominee was, just in general, people who are not in politics are more plugged into politics when it's a presidential year. So again, if you were a Republican and if you were like, if it was on your bucket list to run, you know, the timing to run was this year. And on top of that, in my personal opinion, at least in my lifetime, the environment for a Republican to prosper was this was the best year to do it. I mean, Joe Biden's presidential job approval ratings the lowest that it's been on any sitting president that I've seen. The economy, we're going into recession. It's a 40-year high recession. It's going to get worse. Gas prices everywhere suck. Like, crime is at an all-time high. Like, I just thought, and then, of course, you know, because of COVID-19, it put the education for at the forefront of people. And there's so many fractions in the education fight, right? There's the COVID-19 mandates. There's critical race theory. There's, you know, the talk about, you know, there's only two genders. Um, there's also the issue of um, children not performing at grade level for math and reading. There's just so many fractions within the education. Regardless, I just thought everything was prime for it to do it. And, you know, just off of the participation alone, and this was kind of like one of my big things, right? and what I didn't like about the messaging as far as like the campaigning consulting side, but obviously the participation numbers were low and in general, it's a midterm year. So it's going to be low. Felt like it was the lowest lower in that, which is very disappointing. I mean, on the Republican side, you know, some people are kind of like, Hey, Democrats aren't voting. So Republicans, this is our chance to take it back. I have an issue with like how, like, why is our strategy always like relying on Democrats doing bad? Like why we should just be better because they obviously i mean the democrats know how to raise their morale and the one thing that they know very well is when they get their their butts kicked they know how to kick into high gear the 2018 blue wave is the perfect example they know that they lost in 2016 and they beat us in 2018 i mean me and ray have talked about this too but in 2018 those four orange county slash la congressional seats all republican and we lost them and then 2020 we won them back but you know overall again i want to wait till the final data and for things to be called so that probably won't have be happening until december i feel confident will republicans will take the majority in the house and the senate um i think locally there were some races as well but overall um i was expecting a lot more i'm not gonna lie to people i mean it's just disappointing um and i don't want to again i think legacy corporate media, their goal is to demoralize, demoralize us. So it's possible that this red trickle had more. So I want to reserve some of my opinions for that.
So I hope I'm wrong about that. But just my initial reactions, I mean, we really freaking blew it. It's one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Ray, what are your thoughts? I don't even know where to start. I, I'm, <laughs> uh, so on, on the, on, as my side gig, I teach people how to do public speaking. And I, and I always say, always have your th like three periods of where you want to start and go from there. I have like 10, honestly. <laughs> um, I'll try to be the most concise. I'll go with one. <clears throat> Cynthia mentioned messaging, right? We went wrong starting. When did commercials kick into gear? I think commercials kicked into gear before ballots came out. Is that right? Was that uh, September, August? Like for candidates? Yeah, for, it, it, for it was general. definitely before the ballots. Propositions was farther ahead, but candidates so, was closer. So when I saw the reason why I bring it up is when I saw the candidates, congressional candidates, assembly candidates come on, a lot of it was how bad Democrats are. Okay. And I go, okay, fine. Right. Like we all know it's bad. Okay. But what almost never came for the exception of like maybe a candidate and Josh Hoover who ran a pretty good campaign. And he's like within like a couple hundred votes, almost every Republican had an email or a commercial of how Republicans did bad, but how their governance would be uniquely different and how life would be better. The reason why Florida is just phenomenal, the reason why every single Republican and moderate state should be like Florida is because they have damn good governance. We're so used to our messaging. And look, I'm a, I'm a two-time Trump voter, and we're going to get to this later, right? What we brought, what he brought this populism that was, I would analogously speaking, was the frosting on the cake, which was pretty good. But analogously speaking, this election, I saw only frosting, but you didn't deliver the cake. What are you going to do differently? Are you going to stop spending? Are you going to provide actual bills or propose things that you're going to champion that's different than what we've already had? Um, there is a specific individual that they're going to remain nameless. Cynthia and I know this person, and I'm going to have a serious – I'm going to – because I take politics seriously, right? I'm going to talk to, I'm going to have a very serious conversation with Cynthia later on. There is somebody that we know that constantly sends emails about only fundraising. Told me how they're going to govern different. What are you going to do? I don't care if there's an R next to your name. What mm -hmm. do you believe in? Because there are some candidates that they risk or they, they fear pissing off the middle to left and they want to keep their messaging completely innocuous that's part of politics you have to take a risk and mm -hmm. here like uh, and everything starts local right so i am by no means an expert i'm only speaking as a voter here the city council candidates that i'm helping they're like really blue dog middle to the right pro police pro business they want to bring business here to where i live i told them i go let me check your emails because i'm not in their district and I said, I don't know what you stand for. You have to take a stance. And what they had told me here in Wesak 
is that our police officers are making $220,000 a year, not because they want to, because it's so over, because it's so understaffed that they have to work double or triple overtime. Instead of making $90,000, they're making $200,000. And her opponent does not want to staff more police officers. And I said, you need to say that you do. She didn't win, but she did see a little bit of a bump because she took a specific stance in her emails. She did get one person that was like, well, I don't know about that. We need to pay our teachers more. She responded with, right, I'm a teacher. I'm pro-teacher, but that money doesn't – these are just two different monies that come in, right? And I told her that you are showing him that you know what you're talking about. You are taking a stance on something, and that's what Florida has been doing, right? They have had good governance. They've been able to stand up. They've, you know, here's another. I know we're going to get into this later. While Donald Trump kept on Dr. Fauci, DeSantis opened up the state. While the while we're having gridlock, DeSantis is helping the uh, you know the ports open so that we can get more supply in. Like those are specific policies on why from DeSantis to Rubio to the mayor in Florida, why they are so successful is because they tell you what they're going to do, they stand by it, and they defend it. That is not the Republicans of yesteryear of the George Bush era. And that's one. And not only that, number two is candidate quality. You know, to combat what I'm saying, the candidate quality, Somebody asked, well, what about Fetterman? He's literally, he's almost I, almost brain dead. Hmm. But his messaging was, well, at least I'm from here. At least I'm a mayor and a lieutenant governor. Who's this snake oil salesman that doesn't even live here and lives in a mansion? Yeah. And people like, um, okay. So we have all these candidates that are really polarizing. Like Carrie Lake, I like everything that she says, but there are some people that, I don't know if I really want this. Um, it, I don't know if I like uncertainty in a candidate. Trump mm. on a national level, why he kept you know, the Kim Jong-uns at bay, the, the Putins at bay, because they didn't know how he was going to act, right? Like that worked for so long. But when you come here, like you, you hear locally, people want to know what is in their candidate. And we're putting forward these candidates now that don't have a record to run on. And I was telling, I think we were having a conversation off air. Good assembly and Senate members here in the state capitol are good. Be, the ones that are good are the ones that have local experience at the city council and school board, right? And the Republican Party keeps putting forward some people, some candidates that don't have that experience on the congressional, the state, and Senate level. Now, there is one, um, Yoon, she, uh, Assemblywoman Yoon, she's taking on incumbent Sharon Quirk Silva. She's, Yoon is a nobody, but she has some type of experience where her community knows her. She's leading by 30 votes right now. She could potentially beat an incumbent in the assembly. She could be that. Republicans were projected to pick up maybe one in the state assembly here. They could potentially pick up two, which is pretty big, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of it starts off with the messaging. What are you going to do better? And number two, who are your candidates that you're bringing me? Don't tell me that you're going to go down to the local Salvation Army and say, hey, this guy looks good. Let me go pick him up. Like, what What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you that, and I'm sure we've all talked about this internally in text messages and group texts. Um, 
yeah. and uh cynthia nailed it when she said why i think in one of our text messages she said the, the same exact thing our strategy especially here in california can't just be oh we're not democrats and i feel like be. we've we've i feel like we've fallen into that a lot here in california um with republicans is that they just go well we're not democrats you know look at how high your gas is mm-hmm. how you know expensive your housing is can, how can, high can taxes are can, yeah, can I ahead. add something really quick? Because I think uh, Joe Patterson, who is, pro- is, is probably listening right now, he's going to be the um, the new assemblyman here in Northern California, here in Rockland. Mm-hmm. I want to get this in because I know he probably has kids, and he has, I, I want him to understand this. I do believe that good candidates like Joe Patterson, who's a practical dude, Josh Hoover, who I, I hope he wins, both of them ran for city council and school board, respectively, right? They're both young. They're both, I believe, under 40. They both have families, and they're both relatable. We Mm. are, you know, there's either, with all due respect, there are some assembly members who who are Republican that either retired or were beaten or lost who are over 60 years old. They're retired. They haven't had a job in over 5 to 10 years. They don't have to worry about budgeting their budget, you know, for their family because all their kids are they're empty nesters, so they don't have to worry about paying tuition or going to child care. If you have people like Joe Patterson, who's just six months removed from city council, you have a city, you have a sitting assembly member in Josh Hoover, who I hope wins, who understands the local community, that could potentially shape how Republicans are seen in the state capitol. That's what we desperately need. And I'm not talking about like, oh, the next six months, here comes a big red wave in California. They can serve up to 12 years. So it would be very interesting to see over the next 12 years if Joe Patterson and Josh Hoover are both in the assembly who are going to potentially ride their coattails with not only good governance but good candidate selection that they're seeing, hey, those are good candidates. Those are those are good sitting assembly members. Let's get more like them. I'm very interested to see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I... I to your point about these candidates who are who need to run for for these smaller offices um well i shouldn't say that. there's no office that's too small or, or not that significant they're all important i would say even closer to home and local is even more important um but so many politicians think they're just going to jump in and you know take over sacramento in one fell swoop that's not how it works and we have to get a lot better at building the bench and the bench comes from city council comes from school board it comes from these politicians who start at a local level and then they can move up because they have the experience um and so many times we just kind of get a candidate who may look good they may fit some mold they have no political experience and then they get clobbered um and that just happens too much. And, and the problem is, is you could make a lot of these races really competitive in California and on the ground, on the micro level, in the local level, Republicans and conservatives could take more seats than I think they, they really take advantage of these school board seats. Like you're saying, you were talking about before we hopped on the show, school board seats, which are now being flipped 
you know, city council seats, which are really important, county supervisor seats, which are so, so important now that people are starting to realize, especially after COVID. Um, these are seats that Republicans should be taking and slowly building a bench that sooner or later they do bubble up into Sacramento. Can can I share the can I share the the story about this uh about the school board? Absolutely. That well, I that was that was my layup to you to share so, the story. So for those of you guys that are listening, I Camille, can you make sure that I that you can hear me because you're saying that I'm cutting out. So I'm I'm the vice chair of the Yolo County Republican Party. I I live here in West Sahak, and we decided to back or not back help help a school board candidate, and at the last minute we helped them do phone calling, what have you. And I made a phone call the night of, and I said to a Republican, I called Republicans in their district, and I said, don't forget to vote. It's 6.30. If you haven't voted, go vote. And they, and the lady goes, yeah, I'm going right now. And I said, don't forget to vote for so-and-so person. But aren't they a Democrat? And I go, no, 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 no. They're independent. We like them. You know, they're, they just want to increase literacy rates. Just go vote for them. She goes, okay, fine. We're going to the poll right now. And I can hear her picking up her keys, and she's getting out of the house. You can hear it in the background. The vote right now is dead even at 549. That's it, unbelievable. Like, if, if it had not been for her, she'd be losing. So on Tuesday, we get to find out, right? And she told me, and, you know, as we were, she's the person's just phenomenal. She's a great person. And I know that when they get in there, she'll probably ask me for questions, right? Like, how should we do this? How should we do that? She's asked me about CRT. They didn't know. This person did not know what CRT was because they're, just, they're literally the the definition of an independent. I, I don't care. I just want my kids to go to school. I have like three of them. And mm -hmm. I explained it to her, and I showed her some nonpartisan news clips of what it is. And she goes, I did not know this. Thank you for letting me know. And because of our involvement, She's she could possibly be there. So you know what we're gonna do now? What we're gonna do is when we hold a crab feed here, um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go knocking on Republican doors during during 2023 and invite them to our crab feeds, invite them to events. So that way, by the time election season comes, it'll be our third or fourth time. Oh yeah, I remember that crab feed. Okay, don't forget to vote for so and so. All right, I'll do it. Yeah, and yeah, that does make a difference. And I I always laugh when i get followers or people on live saying oh why do you vote it doesn't matter my vote doesn't matter uh, these races these local races are decided by hundreds of votes or in this case could be decided in like a couple votes you brought up josh hoover he's trailing by a little over like now 300 and change that's not a lot if you say like someone's behind by 300 votes People will be like, that's it. That's not a big amount. And, and you look at closer to a lot of these races, they are very, very close. And that should be a good sign for if you're a Republican that a lot of these races are actually as competitive as they are in California. And also to um, bringing it down to San Diego. Um, so someone that I supported and helped campaign for John McCann, um, he's running. He is a projected winner right now for Chulista mayor. Um, and I take a lot of great pride in this, but the other, his opponent was Amar Campanajaro, who is a paranormal and career candidate, ran for Congress a couple of times and dating Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs. But, um, you know, he's been on the, so this is his sixth time being on the ballot. He's been on council and, you know, uh, court commission, all that stuff. 
And before that, for one of his city council races, he beat a Democrat by 20 votes. And, you know, transitioning to this cycle, and right now, um, I think he is going to win. I mean, he's ahead by Amar by like nine points. But another race that I care a lot about is Imperial Beach Mayor. And um, the campaign manager, I've known her since we were 15 years old. So she's one of my best friends. Her mom, Shirley Nakawadase, is in second place behind a Democrat. Obviously, Shirley's a Republican. And she's only in, behind her by 50 votes. Um, and that's what we saw where this last, um, you know, dump that came in. And I'll also clarify this too. I know that there's some people that say that late returns benefit Republicans. I mean, I'll be very honest. Um, I don't know if I agree with that theory just because I have seen a lot of statewide and congressional races in California and also some local races here in San Diego where it's actually benefited the Democrat. So I know that there's some people that here, like, oh, ballot returns benefit Republicans. You know, I don't know if I agree with that. I've, there's just too many things. But anyways, I just wanted to contribute to that conversation that these local races, like, it makes a huge difference. Your vote matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and even too, like what Ray was saying, how, you know, he had that conversation and that vote mattered. Um, I phone banged for a few candidates also leading up to get out to vote. And literally the day before Election Day, I got on the phone with a Republican and, um, you know, I was asking him if we can count on your vote for Amy for supervisor and all that stuff. That Republican hadn't even opened up his ballot. So if I didn't talk to that person, who knows if that person didn't vote? So just things like that, you know, don't make assumptions, you know, always ask your, your people in your circle, even if it's not strangers, make sure that they vote. So there's this uh, comment in the chat that I want to bring up real quick and I'll let you guys comment on it uh lucas says don't just knock on republican doors every person needs to be reached every one of the independent voters aren't in the political mix and need the most information and influence uh my quick comment about that is there's a good book called the campaign manager uh if you want to really know about like the insides of like campaigning it's a, it's a pretty decent book what, what, what um, is it called again i think it's just literally called the campaign manager um very easy to read for the lay person um the one thing she, but the one thing she talks about is you have your sinners your saints and your savables your saints are your people you obviously want to reach out and touch people in your party uh the savables are the undecideds the independents the sinners are the people who are absolutely not interested in talking to you opposing party um her whole thing is you don't want to talk to the sinners because you could activate votes that otherwise would not have been activated. So that's one reason you don't knock on every single door. In my understanding, you don't want to activate voters. You don't want to show up at a Democrat's door and be like, Hey, let's vote for this Republican. And then they'll just get more activated and say, great, I'm going to go out and vote against that Republican. Um, but you could go out and get the savables, the swing voters, the independents. So that's my comment. I didn't know if you guys want to chime in as well. Yeah, so I get what he's saying, and I agree. But the one thing that we found out very late is, and I'm going to implement this next time, the week before election, it's going to be our base week. That means people that we know are Republicans and are not sure if they even want to vote or not. 
because, mm-hmm. and so that's like the knocking on the doors, like in 2023, right? Like in February, when we have a crap feed, we we need to build our base, right? Like we need to have a base to begin with, right? Cause we don't, we kind of have one, but we kind of don't. So first we need our base. We need the ones that we know the Republicans. I know that if I knock on your door with my Yolo County Republican shirt, you're going to be like, Oh, Hey, what's up friend? Haven't, you know, for my first time meeting you. And then with those, we want to invite to our crappies. We want to invite them to our events so we can start raising money, right? Mm-hmm. Once we establish our base and build our base, then yes, we do go out to those independents. But when we talk to those independents, maybe I'm not going to wear my Republican shirt. Um, like here, um, I'm I'm the minority Republican, right? Like I went, for example, to the Dia de los Muertos event. Uh, it's for Halloween, and it was in the north side of town where it's not that many Republicans. I think it's like. 80, 20 Republicans. So I did have my Republican banner, like kind of like behind me, but I had my Dios Mortal shirt. I had pocket constitutions. I had many flags and I had candy. And I was disc- I was talking to people about what I stood for, what I wanted. Now, if I was just decked out in just Republican gear, they'd be like, I don't want to talk to you, right? Like mm-hmm. you're too Republican for me. So I just have to understand where I'm at. I was in a place where I was targeting independence and I just knew my environment in my other environment is I'm targeting my base cause I need to build it. And I have their information on my iPad or on my phone. I have my Republican shirt on. I introduce myself. Would you like to come have fun with Republicans? Of course. So I get what they're saying. It just has to be at the right situation. I'll, so I don't know if Lucas is involved in politics or not. So I want to provide Lucas um, some insider baseball. So we're in California. This is California underground. That being said, California has their own election laws. So ballot harvesting, ballot curing, uh, motor voting is legal. You know, people can have their own personal convictions about it. I certainly do. I am of the opinion, however, that I will play by the rules because I want to win. That being said, you know, and full transparency, I'm on the campaign side. So I want Republicans more in office, right? So, you know, there's all this talk on the Republican side about when to vote, how to vote, whatever. If you live in California and you are someone that's plugged into the party apparatus and you wonder how you can help, Honestly, the best way that you can help is to vote early. There is nothing more frustrating and more anxiety feeling when, because, you know, depending on where you're in California, unless you live in like a really red district, most of us don't. We need the Republican vote to even stand a living chance to have some kind of competitive edge. And so when you, the people that we count on, when we're looking at the registration and we're trying to see like, okay, we need this amount of votes to win. We need to swing this amount of votes. If the Republicans are not voting for the Republican candidate, and I'm talking like when you get your ballot and we're looking at the vote by mail returns, it freaks the campaign side out. Cause we're like, we have all this money left. And like, in, even for us to make a little dent to make like 30, 20, 40% to even like get to like the 50% fresh to even unseat this person or be competitive with the Democrat, it ruins everything. Um, so yes, I do agree like on the outreach side, like to mobilize it before getting out to vote, you should be touching people that are swingable. And there are some hardcore Democrats that you will never 
doesn't matter how great your Republican candidates, they will never vote for you at all. And you shouldn't even try to do that. But it is frustrating and it takes away time from us being able to talk to those people where we can mobilize them and consider them, plant seeds for them to even consider a Republican when the Republican base is not helping the candidate because they refuse to vote early. Now, again, you know, people have their own convictions about voting, but, you know, I can share my personal opinion on the campaign side. You know, it is extremely anxiety filling when, you know, we can't even, from a candidate side, we can't even put our, we can't even have like a dent on like the vote count if we're seeing that the people that we're relying on to vote are not turning in their ballot. So I wanted to give Lucas that insight, um, that put that, you know, inside baseball. It is, we can't, the Republican can't focus on people in the middle if like the Republican side is not voting or helping the candidate. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I'm always amazed how dogs can be in a deep sleep and wake up out of a deep sleep and just start barking at some random thing. Um, I'm actually one of those weird Republicans who uh, does do the vote early. I fill out my ballot at home and I drop it off at a polling location. And I know I get all sorts of people who are like, aren't you worried about fraud? Aren't you worried about that's what they want you to do in the mail-in ballot and all that stuff? I don't think so. One, everybody wants a paper trail. That's -hmm. your paper trail. You can have the ballot. You can pull the little thing off. Um, You get the notification that it's been counted. So um, Camille just said rhino alert because I dropped (laughs) off my my mail-in ballot early. I voted voted the night before. The night before Hi, you dropped it. Hi, Winnie. Winnie wants to be on this podcast. She's got a lot to say tonight. So I, I, I usually do not vote more than two days beforehand. But I like I work in legislation, and I found out today that if you want, like, if you want voting early, like two to three days, like dropping it off, it's actually more helpful for Republicans because then you're spending less money on people that have already voted, and you can direct your you know, your efforts on people who still haven't voted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a fan of, of early voting. And another thing talking about sort of like reaching out to independents, independents, as I understand it in California, tend to break for Democrats. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because my wife is actually registered as an independent. Um, mostly because I'm interested in seeing what she gets in the mail and she gets a ton of democratic stuff vote for this democrat uh, i mean we had enough catherine blakesphere stuff to build like a fort and and like start a bonfire with it but um yeah and she gets all the text messages vote for this democrat and stuff like that so you know uh, something just popped up like a, a light bulb just popped up you know moving forward like and i'm sure we're going to talk about this later specifically you know with the with the with the california gop they have to do something different. I don't know what that different is. They have to do something different, right? And there's two things with them. Number one, it is okay to claim some type of victory, right? Like, like we, like for example, we we picked up two assembly seats. I think that's okay to bring up, at, like at the next convention. But they also have to bring up what they're going to do very different. And I think that different can be we're gonna. Uh, we're going to raise money to spend $50 million on independent voters. 
because we have found out that Democrats are outspending us on these flyers to independent voters five to one. And that is one thing we need to do because by the end of the 2026 cycle, we want to pick up more assembly, more assembly um, pickups in Senate by targeting the independents by spending X amount of cash. Because what that does, you're giving number one, you're giving a hard variable, like a hard number. I am, I want to hit this. And if you don't hit that, then we replace you. Right? Yeah. Like, and I think this kind of goes back to what I'm saying. Most candidates, whether you're in the party or you're in Congress or your assembly, they don't want to give something hard because they're going to be held account for it. That's why they remain kind of innocuous, ambiguous. That side is bad, but I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do because if I do and I don't do it, you're going to vote me out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I always I, I always come back to this statistic. It's, you know, 49% of California voters are Democrats. The other remaining 50% is split pretty much evenly between Republicans and independents. That is a large amount of independents who are sitting out there. I don't know if any other state has that many independents sitting out there that shows to me that they're just kind of disgusted with both parties and they just don't want to be a part of either party. So obviously they're not getting what they want from Democrats and they're obviously not getting what they want from Republicans. So why is there not a stronger drive by Republicans to say, let's start bringing that 25% down into our camp. And then all of a sudden, maybe it's 40, 60 Republicans, you know, like all of a sudden or 40, 50 Republican to Democrat. Now that's a bigger percentage where things could happen. That's a seismic shift. If you go from 25% registered Republicans to 40% in California, that could be a seismic shift in how the state looks overall between local and state races. Well, if you, you have to see, I don't have it in front of me, but you have to look at Brian Dolly's race, right? He got, what did he get? Didn't he get like 30? No, he got in, did, Brian Dolly got like a 42%, right? Let's see. I'll pull it up right now. What did now. he get? He He's broke pulling 30, up right now. He broke 30%, I think. 42.3%. 42. Right. Okay. Now, he overperformed Republican registration, meaning there are probably some Dems and some independents probably voted for him. So that's if if that happens on a regular basis, meaning like what I was saying, if we up our spending on independence and Republicans like a like Brian's a good guy, he's a really good guy. But is he the best candidate? Hmm, probably not. Right. Imagine if Republican had an even better candidate with all due respect to Mr. Dolly. If his floor is 42 percent, imagine what a even better Republican would be in the next four to eight years. I mean, what did Larry Elder get? Didn't he get like four million votes? And and oh, and she's saying Cox got 38 percent. See, Cox didn't even didn't even break 40 percent. Yeah. So that's actually trending in a different direction. And it's, you we it's can even in favor. And we can even make the case that California actually bucked the trend of bucked the national trend, right? But I think I, I don't, Cynthia, I don't know if you're the one that said it earlier. Like I think you you mentioned like w there is some victory. You know, I, I heard Ronna McDaniel 
mention that we the clan like won the Super Bowl. Like if you win the Super Bowl by like three points, you win the Super Bowl. That's not how politics works, right? Like, okay, we mm-hmm. picked up two seats. Fine. Okay. You need to pick up 20 to 30 seats because those Republicans that are in purple districts might on occasion swing to the left. You need to have a safe majority to where if a couple of Republicans go to the left, you're still safe. We did not have that. Politics is not won by two to three points. Politics is won by 30 points. And by definition, on a national level, Republicans have lost. California kind of bucked that trend, but just not enough. They, they bucked the trend, but it's not like, whoa. It was like, oh, okay. And yeah. that that right there, that that bucking of the trend, that tells me what do we have to do to increase that little crack that they're not worrying yeah. about right now, but we can in two to six years. Yeah, and and I've always, you know, it's got to be incremental and it's got to be a little by little, and adding ten percent to your voter rolls or your percentage of voters does make a big difference, and you could see it across the entire state. Um, and that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. And, and thanks to Camille for bringing up that it was 38 to 42%. So actually we've Republican gubernatorial candidates have gone in the right direction. They've actually picked up more voters. So that's a silver lining you could take away from this. And imagine this Dolly's the downfall of not want to say downfall. The thing with Dolly, it's not that he see he got 42% and he's not polarizing, right? He's just an average guy. Like, Good dude. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever met Brian Dolly. Such a down to earth dude. Dude, his kids are awesome. We both have met him, and he's been on the program too. Yeah, no, he's yeah. super good guy. Yeah, he's really. very nice. Very, very good. nice guy. A good family cannot, too. Yeah, definitely. If Brian Dolly had like twenty million more in his bank account, pretty d- decent, right? Yeah. The thing is, is why he's not electable is because not a lot of people know him. That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's it. He's so number one just a non-polarizing figure. He's non-polarizing. You're that's a so far not polarizing gets you that. Polarizing gets you Larry Elder. Yeah. I, I feel like if he had I just let's say like even five or ten million and he was running consistent ads throughout California, who knows how much how many more percentage points he could have gotten. And it wouldn't be, you know, this what he, you know, Newsom's calling a big blowout, but um, I feel like a lot of people just didn't even know he was running, and that's probably a lack mm-hmm. of funds and a lack of ability to run ads and commercials and and get people's attention and just say, "Hey, I'm running against Gavin Newsom." Um, so, but forty two percent for just being a guy who ran against Newsom is not bad. And that, and you know, I want to give him credit too because he did put in sweat equity. He put in the miles and whatnot. And so my call to action for people that are freedom minded, that are center right, center left, um, again from the campaign side, like there's only so much a candidate can do. But, you know, I think you know we're all doing our postmortems. Like you know, what could we done? What we should have done? The thing that's in control of the voters is is it Dally's fault? that he didn't have much money no i think that on the voter side we all could have donated to him i mean it's not like he has he can self-fund you know so there's things on the voter side that we have full control over 
we need to do better on supporting people and electing people, you know, especially if we're unhappy with what we have. And the, the one thing I'll say about Brian Dolly is he didn't hurt anybody down ticket. He was just there. Okay. He, he didn't hurt anybody, you know? Um, no. I mean, I know this is kind of like really particular and this is Monday, Monday, almost Monday morning quarterback, but I wasn't that impressed with his debating on KQED with Governor Newsom. It didn't look like he came prepared. Um, it didn't look like he offered any solutions. He just kept saying, under your leadership, we failed. He just kept pointing out to like what he what Newsom did wrong. But he never came out with, and it wasn't just him. This was really across the board from congressional candidates to himself. And I say this respectfully, is you didn't tell me how California would be any different. Right. Like, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to go back to my guy, Ron DeSantis on a national level. He, I believe in my opinion, when it comes to Republican primary, he is going to say, this is how the U S will be different because prime example is Florida. This is what could have been different with the rest of the U S right. But instead, Brian Dolly could have said, we've been doing this for so long. Imagine if we implemented X, we could be doing Y. And he didn't do that, you know, and it's not because he's a bad guy. I think it's just a learning experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. That's when I when I did my episode where I kind of critiqued or watched the, the debate and critiqued it. That's the first one of the big things I said was Dolly just he kind of would say, oh, things have gotten bad. We don't have water. Mm -hmm. Cool. OK, tell us what you're going to do differently. And the other thing that Newsom was very good at, and I will give Newsom this, he was he was very prepared. He's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. He's very politically savvy. You know, don't write off the guy. He is very politically savvy. He was very good at saying, oh, Brian, you didn't vote for this. So you're a bad person. And so instead of going, I didn't vote for this policy or this law because it was a crappy law here's why and here we could how's we could have done it better mm -hmm. yeah you know and throwing it back in his face so um and, and we can, are can, can i can i can i add this too i yeah. don't want to come across like we're just playing monday morning quarterback and we're saying well if you did this if you did that what we are all three collectively saying is our critiques it's it's what could have probably propped even more candidates over the finish line. Like what we're saying, like I know we're just like on this, we're, we're streaming on YouTube. If what we were saying was magnified on a bigger scale on commercials, on imagine if California actually treated their homeless and more got their treatment that they needed, we would be a better California, right? If that was the messaging, I think we'd have more Republicans winning at the assembly level, even if it's by three candidates or four candidates. Mm -hmm. I think we'd be seeing more progress. Yeah. So you'd brought up uh, Ron DeSantis. I did want to talk about this really quickly because this is sort of the big thing that's happening now since Tuesday is the schism that is growing between uh, the Trump camp and Trump supporters and those who are fans of Ron DeSantis, because there's always been this speculation of who's going to run. Is it going to be Ron DeSantis? Is it going to be Trump? Um, we all knew going into Tuesday, Trump supposedly has an announcement that he's now pushed off, but he was likely going to announce he was running for president. But after DeSantis's 
resounding victory in Florida, I think there's a lot of people who kind of backed up and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. This guy looks like he has the momentum. So I don't know who wants to go first. Ray, you showed up in your Ron DeSantis shirt. I know you've been a big fan of Ron DeSantis for a while now. Uh, what are your thoughts on where does this go? Does this blow the whole Republican Party apart? Is it time to move on from Trump? Is Ron the guy for 2024? Can I defer to Cynthia? Because I, I actually I'm kind of genuinely curious on what she has to say because I'm very interested on speaking with Republicans who may either be indifferent or just pro-Trump. I, I don't know what Cynthia is, but I'm very curious on her point of view. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm team. I'm, I don't care about 2024 until after New Year's. Fair, fair. I um, immediately, like initially, you know, I do have a, like between those two, I do have a preference and it is Trump, but I am not, I do not have the energy to have a full on debate. And I'll be honest because I, I really, I want to see, you know, I want to wait till all the votes are certified across the nation. I would like to see data. I want to see how many mm -hmm. house seats got flipped or taken. I want to see if Herschel Walker wins the Senate. I want to see how San Diego did for local politics. Um, and, you know, in general, too, just a general frustration. You know, we can point the fingers. I don't know who is to blame. But my my personal frustration is everyone is entitled to their opinion. Everyone is entitled to see who they have their preference. and. I could be ignorant to this, right? But I'm just a little bit frustrated. Like, why are we talking about 2024 right now? Like, we don't even know, like, who won yet. And, you know, and I think in general, and myself too, I'm, I'm it's just a lot, it's very emotional. Um, you know, just, I think, because we all, the three of us, and I think also, like, on the Republican side too, I think, like I said in the beginning for my initial reaction to the midterm results, we were all expecting a little bit more. So I think, you know, everyone's just trying to figure out what went wrong. Everyone's trying to process it. And I tweeted out today too. I was like, well, it's Twitter. It's hectic, right? You, you, you're in control of your emotions. But even when I talk to people like outside politics in politics, like everyone is still as emotional and for me I had to have a moment where like okay I need to like take a step back like my Twitterverse is the same as real life first and I think that means that you know I need to check out a little bit so between the two of them I do prefer Trump but I am not in a position to defend him or put down like I just I want to I don't, I don't want to talk about who's running for president until next year like I there's just so much I would like to analyze and whatnot. Um, but I'll say this, like, so if you were to ask me between those two, I do prefer Trump. However, when the presidential primary comes in March of 2024, and we find out who is the Republican nominee, if it is not Trump, I vow that I will support them. And I'll say in general, I'm not surprised that he's going to run again. My full-time job, I work for One American News, my network we air live stream everything that trump does from his rallies to when he speaks at cpac and even when he wasn't speaking we still stream live hits from cpac and 
you know, all the conservative events and stuff. And not even if Trump is on there for political figures also. Do you that think... Said, go ahead. Can I ask real quick? I just want to interject something. Do you think yeah. that if Trump doesn't run, that your ratings could suffer because he's not in the spotlight? I... So it's interesting because it was so OEN, the, as far as the history, as far as I know, it wasn't actually too political. And then when Trump got in, I think that's what propagated it. So, but, but I mean, like, ask, kind of like the reverse of CNN, like CNN needs, needs to talk trash about him to like be good. And when American news kind of has to have him to, you know, cater to his base. Right. Yeah, I do think, yeah, I think in general, like, you know, let's just say Trump decide, although again, it's, I, it's hard for me to think what if because I've known for a while and I'm not saying that like I'm impervious to a circle, right? It's just as a writer and as a producer, I've had to, you know, watch everything and write about it. So, you know, when you hear the rallies every single weekend and you have to write a script and a summary about it for TV, it's like, you know, I hear the same lines again and again. And also he's had one-on-one -on -one interviews with some of our talk show hosts and like, you know, our high-level reporters. And he gives the whole legal answer. Like, you know, I made my decision. I think the people will be happy about it. Like that's code for basically I'm running. So I've been hearing about this for months, right? So I'm not surprised that he is going to run. It's just, you know, there was campaign finance laws that would trigger legal stuff. That being said, I am also very confident Joe Biden is running because I've had to I write hope he this runs. script. I hope yeah, he well, runs. I well now he officially online has said he intends to run. But before he did that, he gave the whole legal answer also like, yeah, you know, trying to tiptoe, but it's pretty obvious that he is going to run like, oh, I need to just talk with my family. And what was very interesting about it too, Jill Biden, his wife, was also on record kind of saying, yeah, like we've actually talked about the family, a decision has been made, kind of giving the whole legal talk to you like, yeah, we're running. And then also in those same interviews where I've had to watch and report about, they all he also said that like, yeah, if Trump runs, I'm gonna run. So again, I knew this for months. I think Trump is gonna run. And then when I hear Jill Joe Biden giving that legal answer and then basically affirming like, yeah, if Trump runs, I'm for sure running too. It's like, so we already know those people will be on top. That being said, I still forecast and see like a very fielded, at least on the Republican side, even if Trump runs, I've foreseen many other candidates. Mm -hmm. That being said, between the two, if you're asking between DeSantis and Trump, I do prefer Trump. But again, let's just say he loses if it's DeSantis or if there's another Republican that happens to come out on top, I vow that I will vote for them. I, I think protesting a presidential vote is stupid especially because i do think the 2024 cycle it's going to be incredibly impactful especially if you're someone that cares about all the other races below that it does you no harm it does you no good if you care about electing good people in office if you protest the vote so that's my thing i'm i would prefer trump over DeSantis, but if it's DeSantis or if it's trump or if it's another republican that wins the, the primary i will support whoever wins the primary I'm not going to be one of those people that gets butt hurt because my person I preferred didn't win. <clears throat> okay, uh, Phil, real quick, I just I just have to re to respond to one of the comments about uh, Anthony Tremino. 
before we talk about any candidate, can they crack single digits before we actually try to bring them up into becoming the next governor of the fifth largest economy in the world? Okay. So uh, talking about Ron DeSantis and um, Donald Trump. Okay. I want I'm sorry, somebody. I, ju I just was wafted all that speed, <laughs> wafted over me. <laughs> but Drop anyway. the mic there. <laughs> okay, that's it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Show's over. So, Bye. So <laughs> we all want a president that is for us, right? And we, I think we got that in Trump in 2016 and even going into 2020. I think, I, like, I'm not going to, I'm not just here to just bash Trump. I'm a two-time Trump voter and, and I'll defend it. I will, def I will continue to defend my, my votes for him then. Can't do it now. Okay. I cannot, in good conscience, get behind a presidential potential candidate who raises close to $200 million dollars in a midterm and only spends $12 million of it on, uh, on a Senate candidate in Pennsylvania who doesn't even live in Pennsylvania, a former Heisman Trophy pro football running back who has no experience, who we're, we just lost Arizona. Those are three different... Trump endorsed candidates that he spent all he he endorsed them in the primary and said, see you later. Bye. I'm gonna write, I'm gonna raise more money. I'm gonna raise over 200 million dollars and I'll cut you 15 million dollars. Because of Trump, it, because of him, he we are we do not have the lead in the Senate. That's literally. Now, hmm. if I were to ask you, who would you want to put Herschel Herschel Walker over the hump at this moment? Do you want the guy? that has a complete tidal wave in Florida, who completely flipped Miami-Dade, who brought in the African-American, the Latino vote, who has no Democrats in the state assembly in Florida, or do you want the guy who raises hundreds of millions of dollars, can't get over voter integrity in 2020, and comes with January 6th for every single candidate? Which one do you want in Georgia? I can single-handedly make make the case that because of Donald Trump and he could not help himself, we are with uh, Ossoff and Warnock in Georgia because he couldn't, he's not disciplined. And look, I wouldn't be so anti-Trump for 2024 if Trump said, hey, you know what? We took Florida, we got some wins, and let's wait until everybody is sworn in January 3rd. Trump cannot help himself. He is undisciplined. What was his strength on the national level with North Korea and Kim Jong-un and, and Putin, who didn't invade until after Trump left office, is because our national these world leaders didn't know what he was going to do. They didn't know if, will, will Trump give Kim Jong-un a bro hug, or is he going to launch missiles in North Korea and blow them off the face of the earth? We didn't know that. At that time, it served us well. But here locally, we are on the verge of losing the Senate or maybe getting one Senate seat for a guy that hoarded $180 million and helped nominate people who have no experience in office. Why? At this point, Trumpism, MAGA, 
has now become almost what, like I used to be a big Raider fan, huge Oakland Raider fan, right? The one thing that would bug the crap out of me about Raider fans is it only became about the logo, not about who our general manager was, not about the quarterback, not how we were going to draft. It was only, only about the logo. It's now only because it has become about the MAGA brand. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I am a conservative first, not a Trumplican. If, and I'll tell you, hey, if Trump said we need to do better and um, DeSantis did really well, I'm glad I endorsed him. We're getting stronger and he would have waited like a couple of months. I'd have a very hard time as a pro DeSantis guy. I would say mm-hmm, maybe DeSantis, but but that's just not the case. That's not reality. And mm. the last thing, like there's two things, right? The first one is D- Donald Trump does not have undecided voters. You either, he has three of them. You effing hate him. You really like him. Or you just don't hate him more than cancer. That's it. That, that That's what Trump has. With DeSantis... He has more undecided voters because they're like, oh, okay, all right. And then number two is, I was, I was speaking to a, a progressive liberal. Uh, he's a Latino, and he's an attorney. And he goes, I, didn't, I will never vote for Trump, never have, don't like the guy. But the one thing that I, that I think why he won is because he had this populist vision of, we're going to bring jobs back to the U.S., you in Detroit, we're going to bring the job. We're going to keep jobs here instead of shipping them off to Mexico. We're going to put tariffs on China so that we can sell them here. And he was this really, it was genuinely America first by policy. He's gotten away from that. It's all about him. So it's, uh, it's all about who's, who, who is, who's turned against him and who's like, how do you, how are you happy that O'Day lost? How are you happy that a, a, a Democrat beat somebody that you don't like as a Republican? What the hell? Hmm. Like that, just, I'm, I just, I can't get behind that. And that, that's, that's no disrespect to, you You know, I understand where Cynthia is coming from. And I, I really do. It's just from what I see, I, that ship has sailed now. May I yeah. ask you a question, Ray? Yeah, of course. So I think it's fair to criticize anyone, including Trump, but is he the only person we should be blaming? Because my whole thing is like, yeah, criticize Trump, but we should be willing to criticize everyone. So, for example, did Trump, yeah, he endorsed and he put a stamp on it. But to my understanding, I'm not going to pretend I know all the inside baseball about every single county across every single state. But to my understanding, this candidate stepped up to run. And, you know, in addition to, like, the Trump, you know, endorsement and whatnot, I mean, I know he's viewed as, like, the kingmaker, but he's technically not in power and he's not in politics. But who are? Well, in the House, you have Kevin McCarthy. On the Senate side, the Republican leader is Mitch McConnell. And then the House and the Senate, they each have their funds. The candidates, you know, if they are the endorsed local candidate, they would have access to potentially additional resources, whether that is field, whether that is money, et cetera, countywide and statewide. And so my whole issue is, yeah, I think, there's things that I wished on the Trump side for his pack. He could have done better to support candidates, but I think he also did what he could. Why aren't those same people willing to criticize those people? I mean, why what why didn't the Senate help help Blake Masters in Arizona? So my whole concern is like, yeah, I hear you. I think it's it's open field to criticize Trump, 
but those same people are not willing to criticize those people who had full control to be able to help these people. And in my opinion, you know, if we, if Republicans didn't have gains, I think Kevin McCarthy and I think the other Republicans in power who actually hold the key to help these candidates, including the state parties, including the local counties, and to be honest, like as voters as a whole, because Republicans did not vote. So as a voter, as an average human being, they have to bear some responsibility also, you know, so that's my whole thing. For willing to criticize Trump, we should be willing to criticize other people. I don't see that enough. And you know that, what? You, that infuriates me. You're right. And I almost forgot to say it because I don't think we kind of got into like the. And um, I want to say for the record, too, this is going to piss people off, too. But on record, I do want Kevin McCarthy to be a speaker. So I just want to put that out there where people are like, no, no, criticize. I'm I like, don't. I don't. I, and I meant to say this. I think heads heads deserve to roll. I think Kevin McCarthy is a good dude. You know what I think he's extraordinary at? I think Kevin McCarthy is so underrated at raising money. He's he's great. But that's yeah, not what we need him for. He's the best fundraiser. He's yeah. the best. No, hands down, one of the best fundraisers. But what happened in the loss, like, heads need to roll. Kevin McCarthy, uh, McConnell, Ronna McDaniels is so out of touch. All of that, like if this was pro football and you were expected to go 14 and two and make it into the championship AFC championship game and you end up going eight and eight and limp into the wild cards football speak, the following season, everybody would be gone, should be gone. And that I'm not, not just Trump, but Trump is a major player in it. McCarthy, the fact that we could possibly lose to Katie Porter. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier. And I know at the last uh, California GOP convention, they're talking about how we gained four, how we have four Republican seats. Yeah, we got them back. And mm -hmm. I was saying back then, at some point, we need to start celebrating new things, not things that we got back. And I'll tell you, Michelle Steele's husband, look, I, this isn't personal, right? Because we're talking politics. The one thing that really, really blew me away, I, I wanted to walk out of that, because I think you were a couple of rows behind me, when he started celebrating our recall and how many volunteers that we had. I'm like, with all due respect, Mr. Steele, you are so out of touch. We lost the governorship by 30 points to a governor who is com who is completely unpopular. You have nobody that is set up to go against him in 2022. You have nobody who's coming close to winning on the state level. So what you what what this is what I was expecting. Of here I go, what they're doing wrong. Here's what they should have done. What we should have said is, here's where we started. We did great at at getting more volunteers and registering more voters. Great, but the work is not done. We have to realize that we are not winning offices and we got to do it and I can't do it without you. And if I'm him, I'm calling out all the central committees, the big ones, San Diego, Orange County. There is tons of work to be done because right now we are not getting the job done. I'm sorry, right now, McCarthy's speech the other day, so tone deaf. He was speaking and you can kind of tell it in his in his mannerisms that he was getting ready for the red wave. It didn't happen. And now it has to fall on someone. It has to. Like, yeah. And you're right. I, I agree with you, Cynthia. We need new leadership. But then the question is, 
who would replace Kevin McCarthy? Kevin McCarthy is a great fundraiser that we need, but not when it comes to bringing people over the finish line and, re and candidate recruitment. Yeah. Yep. So, and to be very clear for things like that, that is inner party stuff. So it will be very wild. And if you are on Twitter, apparently reportedly Kevin McCarthy actually does not have the votes to be speaker, which That's I, right. which I'm very shocked by. So I fully expect it to be extremely interesting on the Senate and the Republican side. Who knows? Maybe I know that. So there's all these names popping up, right? So we'll see. But again, I want to I want to say something real quick, though, because yeah. I, I, I saw some criticism of McCarthy that I do not agree with and I will not stand by it. His his unwillingness to in to what was it is unwillingness for impeachment of Joe Biden or was it Joe Biden? No unwillingness to certify the, I forget what it was. And I go, that's not flying. No, 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 no. Like he, he like, it's like people getting pissed off that Mike Pence certified the election. Like you, you have to do that. Like that, that, that that's not reasonable. Right. Mm -hmm. and my, my thing is, is you are not helping Republicans get elected. You're only helping them fundraise and that's not getting us anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter to me because I'm all in on Dave Smith in 2024. So, Dave Smith. There's some people who are watching right now who know who I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I thought about this the other night when I was driving home and I was listening to Mark Levin and he was talking about how Miami Dade had gone red. And I thought I, I heard that on the radio and I went, is that right? Miami Dade, the Democratic stronghold, the one where that essentially made Florida a swing state for a long time because they would just get the numbers out. A, a county that Ron DeSantis lost by 20 points, I think, when he first ran, and now he won it by like eight points or something. I'm just someone who looks at that and goes, that's an incredible turnaround to, to do that in a county that you lost by 20 points and now you turn around to eight points. And I'm not one of those people who, you know, you see all these people who think like, like, uh, like presidential races are like bringing up baseball players from the minors. Oh, well, we can't bring him up this year. He's not ready. Um, you know, he needs more development. So we'll save him for next year in politics. You don't have that luxury of, Oh, we'll save this person for the next election. You strike while the iron's hot. And I just feel like right now, Ron DeSantis is, he's the new hotness. You know? and, and he turns out in 2026. So what are you going to do for two years in 2028? You're going to have yeah. a former governor sidelined. He'll be just sitting around doing nothing. So I think. And then yeah, you're going to you have a geriatric old president who I like. Right. He's going to be turning 80. So how are we going to criticize Biden for being 80? But yet we're going to support Trump for being 80. Like. That, yeah. that, that's my right. Like, again, these are tangible. This isn't personal at all. I'm just you know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be personal. Yeah. I don't hate the guy. I'm just saying the best foot forward. And those are my reasons. Yeah. And I yeah. I just think you just got to play the hot hand. And if you have someone who's who's coming up and they're this popular and they've turned florida from a what was a swing state which was every election cycle everyone's like oh which way is florida that's the big one florida is now a bright red shining beacon on the east coast it is just 
It, it is unbelievable what happened with Florida. Um, it is no longer a swing state. It's absolutely red. And you look at he's the top of the ticket. People showed up to vote for Ron DeSantis. People of different ethnicities, races, genders, everything, parties, they all showed up to vote down ballot for him as well. And he, he obviously buoyed down ballot. House seats were flipped, um, did a great job. So, I, I, you know, you just look at it and go, in politics, you play the hot hand. Who gets hot? DeSantis is really hot right now. I think Trump is kind of shooting himself in the foot today. I, I saw this tweet about him putting out this press statement all about Ron DeSantis and he's just been attacking Ron. And I don't, I don't understand why. Like I, cause he's a threat. Seems... He's a threat. Well, he's, yeah, that, that's, he's a threat with exactly an R behind it. his name. He's not Joe Biden. He's not Hillary Clinton. So he's got to attack his own. That's it. And, and that to me seems odd that is Trump in it for, and, his brand. and I'm not, so, he's in it for his brand. And I'm not for someone who's like, you have to be a party loyalist. Everyone who watches mm -hmm. knows I'm not a party right. loyalist. Right, right, right. But right. if you're going to pretend you're the head of the Republican party, mm -hmm. then you have to do a little bit of trying to rally and lead the Republican party. If you want to be the party of Trump and the MAGA party, go ahead and go do the MAGA party and you can critique the Republicans and Ron DeSantis all you want. But if you're going to be the de facto head of the Republican party, and the leader in the face of it. That's fair. Yep. Maybe don't attack one of your rising stars. And and it just seems odd that it's coming at this time. And I don't know. I think people are just getting tired of it. So I liked what Trump did. I was a Trump fan. I'm mm -hmm. still a Trump fan, but I just think he's done what he needed to do, which was wake up a lot of people to what was going on in the government, um, populism, all these new ideas. You know, bringing jobs back home, and and let me tell you, if if DeSantis started interacting with him and started playing these petty games, it would make me very unhappy. That's number one. And then if it continued and they were both going at each other, then my next step is we need to start looking at guys like Tim Scott. That's what I would say. Well, right? I'll like, be honest. Yeah. No, go ahead. Because like, because I even though like I'm a big Ron fan, I'm I, I'm not going to play double standard. If Ron started doing the same thing that Trump is, I said, then I think we got to go over to Tim Scott then, man. Let's look at him. Let's look at, no, no not, Dan, not Dan Crenshaw, but, you know, somebody, Marco Rubio. You know, I would start looking at other people because the guy that I really like is now attacking somebody else. We need true leadership. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it'll be telling to see if, if, if DeSantis responds to Trump or he just stays above the fray. Because if he doesn't I, kind of get down in the mud with Trump, then that, like you're saying, that could be the leadership we're looking for. Go ahead, Cynthia. So in my opinion, I think that Trump is basically trying to, you know, clear the field, right? That's what I don't, I don't again, I, even though I work for OAN, I, I don't know, I don't have inside baseball on Trump world, right? But if I were to guess, I'm assuming, because again, I've, known for a while he was probably going to run um you know i think my not i would assume he's just trying to clear the primary and so that being said um you know bray brings up a good point i think it's i think it's very interesting to see like that for him for ray like you know the tactics and whatnot that's something that is very important to him and his values on you know who he would prefer to be the nominee um 
again, I think it's very early, but I fully, fully, and again, I don't know if DeSantis will do it, but, you know, Trump started it. But I also, I mean, I'm be honest, like when things start to pick up, you know, I could perceive Ron DeSantis doing the same thing, clapping back. And, you know, I just, I think it'll be, I didn't want it to be like this, but, you know, I thought the 2016 Republican primary was bloody. I did not think we could ever see anything that bad. I foresee the 2024 primary on the Republican side to be more bloody. Yeah. And I, I could also, I know we've talked, focused more on Ron DeSantis and, and, Donald, and, and Donald Trump. I could see them two having at it too. And I think when things pick up, I could see Ron DeSantis, you know, clap back. He has it in him. So I just want to for four you, Ray, I don't foresee Ron like kicking back and just letting Trump have at it. I could also foresee him also doing the same thing. You know, but, I, think you're right. I think you're right, but I think because Ron is, and I don't think I'm saying this as a fanboy either. I think because Ron has been a sitting congressman, he's going on his second term. He literally has more of that political experience where he's more measured, he's more disciplined, and he has more policy that he can, excuse me, what do you call it? He has He has policy that he can defend, right? So he can say something like, you know, he can clap back and say, I'm not the guy that kept Dr. Fauci. I'm the guy that kept my state open. I'm not the guy that, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, the vaccine started with you. I gave people the option and I can even make the, I mean, I can make the case that, that Ron DeSantis has governed more conservatively than Donald Trump. Because if you notice, Donald Trump's not going to attack Ron DeSantis on a policy level. Cause I don't think Ron, I don't think Trump's going to win that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, special side note, shout out to Yvonne Uribe, who said uh, Thomas Massey should be Speaker of the House. And I fully support Thomas Massey being Speaker of the House, even though that would never happen. But that was well, that was a name that was tossed around according yeah, to that report I read. Yeah. So oh. I fully foresee that um, I never thought. I always kind of assumed Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. Like I thought, I'll be honest. I thought these inner fights on the Republican side were really stupid because part of it, I was like, they're both pretty undefeatable. I like, I think it's stupid for us to bicker over this as a voter, but now that it's in play, you know, we'll just need to see what happens. Yeah. Well, I'm a fan of Thomas Massey, so he'd be a very smart. I don't know. I don't know much. I mean, I haven't, I like I know for example I know more about Dan Crenshaw because I follow him on Instagram right like I'm a mm. I know about it doesn't mean make me a fan or one way or the other I just know of Dan because of that right I don't I don't follow Massey enough to have an opinion he's more libertarian minded but um he's I think he's part of the actually I don't know I think he is part of the Freedom Caucus but he's more libertarian minded but he is um I like him too. He's definitely, I think you would appreciate him, right? So I definitely, he's a really smart guy. Yeah, probably look him up. Um, So, all right. Well, time will tell. Um, I, you know, it's funny thing about politics that I always think to myself, I say, oh, once we get through an election cycle, I don't know if it'll ever be as exciting as this election cycle. And then I'm absolutely blown away by the next election cycle, which just keeps getting weirder and weirder and crazier and crazier. Um, I, for some reason, I always thought after Obama left office that things would get boring again. And things got way 
more exciting after Obama <laughs> left than I could ever imagine. So we have a lot to look forward to. Um, 2024 is coming up and um, yeah, you know, we'll keep our eyes on the races here uh, going on in California. Um, one sign, I just want to give a shout out to San Diego um, and hat tip to Mayor Richard Bailey, who pointed this out to me that San Diego performed very well for a coastal city in California in terms of conservatism. Um, Brian Dolly only lost by nine points in San Diego. So I just want to point that out. See, that's what you get when you're not, when you're not polarizing, like when you're not polarizing, that's what, that's your starting base right there. Yeah. Lonnie Chan, it was 50 to 49%. Again, not polarizing. He's a good dude. Yeah, Lonnie Chen's great. So you look at a lot of these races and you go, there's potential. You know, it's it's easy to see the results and go, uh, we're doomed. But you have to look under the surface and you have to look at how close these races are and go, man, if we just had five more percentage points, whole different ballgame. So that's Mm -hmm. my takeaway for tonight. Um, Any final thoughts? from either of you guys before we sign off for the night because it's been almost an hour and a half and I knew we'd have no problem game an hour of content in tonight and we got almost an hour and a half so my well my last thought is um as you guys can see who are watching in and tuning in where we all agree on some things we all disagree on some things and guess what at the end of the day we are still friends and I hope that you know we all of us are different on who we would want between the two 2024 and then there's some people that like this person for the speaker and some didn't so i just wanted to point that out there these two are still my friends and you know everyone has a right to change their opinion at any point and i had a great time tonight yeah right yeah no i i really appreciate you having me um I, 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 you know, I'm very, I am disappointed by, by the results. I think that there needs to be a leadership change and not just for the sake of having a leadership change, both on the state and federal level, there needs to be leadership that has proven experience that knows how to not only fundraise, but can also elevate candidates and not and non-polarizing candidates and recruitment and recruitment at the hyper local level at the assembly level um and i think we need to see a very targeted strategy like we brought up earlier where we're targeting independence when it doesn't have it can be non-partisan literature that are our talking points do we want effective police? Do we want, you know, you know, better business climate? You know, things like that targeting specifically independence. Mm-hmm. And that's what we should look for. And, uh, you know, last thing, I think, you know, when, when we go to uh, convention in what, April in Sacramento coming in, up? In March. In March. Yeah, coming up. You know what? I, I, the last convention I went to, I think two conventions ago. I said we need to focus on our assembly races because I think we can pick up one or two. The one that I mentioned, and he actually texted me this, he goes, hey, Ray, look at this, was Joe Patterson. 
before mm. Joe Patterson knew he was running for assembly, I said we should target guys like Joe Patterson because we need to at least pick up one or two assembly seats. And we're possibly going to pick up two assembly seats, right? So now, going into our next convention, we need to come with a plan. What is our next plan to help in 2024? Number one, target independence. Number two, better candidate recruitment. And I'd even add a number three, start taking either control or influence on city council races. And school boards. And county right. supervisor and yeah, water boards and all that planning group, healthcare. So the works. No, you're actually right. Actually, you're right. And I want to hammer at that away. Here in Yolo County, I think two or three supervisors are re one's not seeking re-election and two are retiring. And I told my chairman, Hey, did you know about this? And he goes, Hell no, I didn't know about this. And we want to know as a central committee, how do we target that? Because they, the supervisors, I think, have a bigger district, have a really big district. What is the strategy behind that? Because supervisors are a big deal. And here in Yolo County, working on school boards, there is a possibility that Yolo County GOP, that we have, we're going to have at least three to four conservatives on school board and city council. And now, what Cynthia said, we want to now focus on um, supervisor. And I'm very curious on how to do that. So I hope that's something that we touch on next convention. How do we target our supervisor seats? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They make a big play. They, they make a big difference. Do. Yep. They, we, have to. We, we have to, and I'll, I'll end it like this. We respectively have to have tangible goals that we can really as that, that make us feel like we're part of it, right? Like school board. Oh, I can run, walk for school board. Oh, I can walk for a supervisor. We have to have that going in the convention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with a, a lot of what you guys said. So, um, great show tonight. Always great having you guys on, uh, definitely got a lot of content in and we'll be picking through the results, uh, and continue to talk about this. So, as always, like I like to end every single show, if you uh, liked what you heard, make sure you text at least one friend and say, hey, this was a pretty cool show. Yep. Um, the usernames are up on the screen. So if you want to follow either Ray or Cynthia, they are up there. On So you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram. And these are your Twitter handles. So yep. go follow them there. Ray has follow. a lot of great insight. I like liking a lot of his posts. Um, so with that said, uh, have a good night, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you. And Cynthia Mahalo. <laughs> good night, everybody. Good night.